So, I'm glad you're here this morning for a very specific reason. Normally, uh, when we have a guest speaker, like when Tony, our executive pastor, teaches, I leave town. <laughs> That's just a joke. Uh, but this morning, we do have a guest speaker, and I'm here uh, because uh, John Crutchfield, Dr. John Crutchfield, and I were roommates together in Bible college a jillion years ago. Uh, we graduated from Bible college. I came to Jacksonville, and he kept studying and studying and studying, and he has uh, lots of degrees, actually got his PhD in a rabbinical school in Cincinnati, Ohio. So we got a true Old Testament scholar going to teach us Nehemiah chapter 3 today. But what I love about John is not only does he love the scriptures, he loves the Lord, and he loves people, that, which is really, really the heart of God. We have great memories together in Bible college and great memories this weekend as we have hung out together. And I'm certain the Lord's going to give you a great experience as you open the scriptures together with him. So would you turn to Nehemiah chapter 3? And John, if you would come on up, would you all give him a warm CFC welcome, Dr. John Crutchfield. <laughs> Are you making your grand entrance or, or yeah? What? Thanks, bro. <laughs> well, I've been told that you don't you don't throw tomatoes and you don't boo. So so far so good. <clears throat> it's really a great pleasure. Uh, to be with you this morning. There are more of you here than there were Thursday. Um, I told Doug I'm very comfortable in front of 300 freshmen. I'm fearless. Because they're mine. But put me in front of a congregation and suddenly I, get, I go a little wobbly. So he said, well, just pretend that it's an Old Testament class. And I said, you know, that might help. First thing, lectern. <laughs> Second thing, those of you who came in late, if it was more than 10 minutes late, you don't get credit. <laughs> Third thing, and this is why you have notes, um, there's an exam. 50 questions, two points each, all objective, no essay. And um, if you don't pass, <laughs> I can't say it. <laughs> we were joking that I should say, if you don't pass, you don't get to go to heaven. But that's, <laughs> that's just so awful to say, I can't bring myself to do it. So let's just say if you don't pass the test, you don't get to go home. <laughs> well, um, it is wonderful to be here, and Doug and Jackie and Diane. By the way, I'm going to embarrass my wife again. My wife is back there. Say hi. It's going to be a long trip home. I love to embarrass her publicly. <clears throat> um, uh, a, a little, some apologies for being a little underdressed. Um, I uh, 
A lot of people don't know this, but I'm actually an ordained Anglican clergyman. And so when I preach at home in my church, I look like this. So do you, do you see why I feel a little out of place right now? I'm like, if my bishop sees a picture of me, I'm going to get defrocked, I think, or something or other that's not good. Well, what's really fun about coming to CFC is that there are so many um, of my students who work here. Jonathan and Allison Monk, um, Ryan Toller and Hannah, and Bill Winton wasn't one of my students, but we were classmates together. Um, and of course, Doug and I were classmates together. And, um, you know, I feel like making fun of each of those people. But, you know, the truth is, the truth is that they are wonderful people. And you all are so blessed to, um, to have these, this quality of people working. Yeah. However, I want to clear that any ministerial malfeasance or igno biblical ignorance, that's not my fault. That's my disclaimer. Doug and I indeed were roommates, and it was a great year. And I suppose you want to hear a story? To be honest, he can tell better stories about me because I'm a little crazier than he is. He's actually quite studious. Um, he always did what the professor told him to do, which I don't understand now that I'm a professor. I, <clears throat> I was reading everything but what the professor asked me to read. But um, probably the funniest uh, story is that when he and Jackie met and began having some interest in one another, and, you know, college roommates, we sit around and, guys, what do college roommates talk about? Girls. So Doug is coming back to the room and he's chatting about this gorgeous young lady and I, I think she's interested, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And one day when, you know, that was confirmed that it was mutual, he came back in the evening and he was so excited. And he started his bedtime routine, but he was talking to me the whole time. Grabbed his toothbrush, and he's continuing to talk to me very animatedly and excitedly, and then grabbed a tube of shampoo. <laughs> Put it on his toothbrush, and I'm sitting there patiently listening, and I'm thinking to myself, should I just let this happen? Or should I warn him? And that's what I did. I couldn't do it. So I said, Douglas, is this new? Brushing your teeth with shampoo? What? What? He had lost his mind. I'm not sure he's found it yet. <laughs> well, it's been a great weekend to be here. <clears throat> well, before we get to our text, will you please pray with me? Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, maker of heaven and earth. Your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Therefore, open our eyes 
that we may see beautiful things in your word. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Paul wrote to Timothy, and he said, all scripture is God-breathed, right? And useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture. Now this morning, what we're gonna do is test a little bit whether that all is true. Well, we know it's true. But aren't there some passages that you kind of wonder about? Genealogies, really inspired? Do we need those? Uh, How about all those tabernacle instructions? Really? And then you make this, then you make that. We get it. You made the tabernacle. (laughs) Nehemiah 3 is going to be one of those passages. Um, And I have a couple of pictures, but before that, I want to tell you a little bit of uh, background uh, about this passage and me. Because this passage and I have some history. Back in 1988, I had just finished a master's degree and I was on my way to seminary and I was doing a pastoral internship in Ohio where I'm from and one of my mentors was my supervising pastor and he said to me one day I want you to tomorrow when you come to church I want you to bring your Bible um, a notebook a hymnal some devotional reading and a sack lunch that's it because we're gonna go down to the Cleveland Metro Park system and we're gonna spend the day in prayer and study. And I thought, that sounds kinda cool actually. So, background to the background. At that time, late 80s, something that was somewhat faddish, although in a good sense, churches were trying to raise awareness of Persecuted churches, persecuted Christians, you know what I'm saying? And back then it was primarily people behind the Iron Curtain, communist countries. And one of the things that churches would do is they would have a, a, um, a Sunday, for the, uh, Sunday for the persecuted church. And then to try to help us to relate to these, um, uh, these persecuted believers is they would take an old beat up Bible that nobody used anymore, stand at the back, and as people left, they would tear out a page of the Bible and give it to them and say, this is your only Bible for the next week. And of course, you know, you have no, you have no control over what page you're gonna get, right? Maybe you get Psalms, maybe you get a gospel, maybe you get tabernacle instructions. I mean, what are you, what are you gonna do, you know? Well, I was really struck by that and moved. You know, what would I do? We, we have such riches in the West, in, in, in our country, biblical riches, an embarrassing amount of, of riches. And um, so what I did is I said, well, Lord, I, I'm not, I didn't want to tear up a Bible, but I said, Lord, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to close my eyes and do the old spin. Have you ever done this? 
you know, Lord, I need guidance, you know, that kind of thing. So I did one of these things, spin around, nobody knows. And then I just, I promised the Lord that whatever chapter I put my finger on, that would be my chapter for the week. So that's what I did. And guess where my finger hit? Nehemiah 3. I read about five verses and I went, can I get a (laughs) do-over? Answer, no, you promised. Okay, okay. So now my pastor says to me, we're going to go spend the day in prayer and study of the word. What does that mean? I have to spend all day reading Nehemiah 3? Well, we're going to read Nehemiah 3 together in a minute. And you're going to, in fact... I was texting my mother late last week, and I said, I'm going to preach at a friend's church down in Jacksonville. Oh, what's the passage? I said, Nehemiah 3. You should read it, Mom. She's 90 years old. She read it. A couple of minutes later, I get a text, and she says, why did you pick Nehemiah 3? <laughs> Boring! In all capital letters with five exclamation points. You know, some people text like that. It's like they're yelling at you. Boring! And, and I texted back and I said, well, mom, I didn't choose it. Doug asked me to preach on Nehemiah 3. About 15 minutes later, I get another text and she says, I thought Doug was your friend. <laughs> so did I, so did I. <laughs> so we're going to read, we're going to read Nehemiah 3. And I think, oh, no, I have pictures, right? Yeah, yeah, I forgot these on Thursday. Pictures. This, I think, is on the back of your, uh, see, this is where the exam is coming from. All those gates, you need to know where they are, but you can take notes. Um, <clears throat> the, um, the white walls that you see around, those are the uh, walls of the old city of Jerusalem as they are today. So if you've ever been to Jerusalem and walked the city walls, you can do that. That's what is standing today. The darker walls are what um, Nehemiah was, was building, okay? So that just gives you a feel for, um, for what the walls looked like uh, on a map. Now, the next picture is actually a part of one of the walls, This is called the Broad Wall, which archaeologists discovered in Jerusalem. And um, it's uh, actually, that's not all of it even. Uh, It goes down deeper. But the problem with doing an archaeological dig in a city is that people live there. And you can't just say, could you please leave your house and let us tear it down so we can do an archaeological dig? People don't receive that well. So... It's very difficult, but they discovered the broad wall, and that's a portion of it, and I wanted you to see it, because, I mean, you see those stones, those, I mean, we're not talking gravel. These are stones, and especially the ones on the, the front and the back, those are a couple hundred pounds each, I suspect. So, I wanted you to see that. Okay, now we're going to read the text. And I want you to be prepared 
My mother was right. This is boring. But hang in there with me um, because we're going to step back from the text and I really do believe that there are some important principles for kingdom building in this, in this chapter. The other thing is that uh, some of these names are kind of a mouthful and I don't care how much Hebrew you read, I'm going to mess up. So, grace when I mess up a name, please. All right, you ready? <clears throat> Nehemiah 3. Then Eliashiv, the high priest, arose with his brothers, the priests, and built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and hung its doors. They consecrated the wall to the Tower of the Hundred and the Tower of Hananel. Next to him, the men of Jericho built, and next to them, Zakur, the son of Imri, built. Now the sons of Hasanaa built the fish gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. Next to them, Merhomot, the son of Uriah, the son of Hakoz, made repairs. And next to him, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, the son of Meshezabel, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, the son of Baana, also made repairs. Moreover, next to him, the Tekoites made repairs, but their nobles did not support the work of their masters. The NIV, pause for a minute, the NIV renders that a little differently. Uh, the, their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work. It's a little tough to understand what exactly is meant here. But we do know, generally speaking, somebody didn't want to work. That's what that verse means. Okay, back to verse 6. Joyada, the son of Paseach, and Meshulam, the son of Besodiah, repaired the old gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. Next to them, Melatiah the Gibeonite and Jadon the Meronathite, the men of Gibeon and of Mizpah, also made repairs for the official seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. Next to him, Uziel, the son of Harchiah, of the goldsmiths, made repairs. And next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, made repairs. And they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. You see that? The broad wall, that's that wall, I, you know, the picture I just had up. Next to them, Raphiah, the son of Hur, the official of half the district of Jerusalem, made repairs. And next to them, Jediah, the son of Harumaf, made repairs opposite his house. And next to him, Hatush, the son of Hashabniah, made repairs. Malkiah, the son of Harim, and Hashuv, the son of Pahat Moab, repaired another section and the Tower of Furnaces. Next to him, Shalom, the son of Halohesh, the official of half the district of Jerusalem, made repairs. He and his daughters. Verse 13. Hanun and the inhabitants of Zenoa repaired the valley gate. They built it and hung its doors with its bolts and its bars and a thousand cubits of the wall to the refuse gate. The refuse gate, by the way, the NASB is so polite here. The NIV um, 
translates it the dung gate. D-U-N-G, dung. I wouldn't want to work at that gate. Where am I? Verse 14. Malkiah, the son of Rechab, the official of the district of Beit HaCherem, repaired the refuse gate. He built it and hung its doors with its bolts and its bars. Shalom, the son of Kol Hoza, the official of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. He built it and covered its doors with its bolts and its bars. In the wall of the pool of Shelah at the king's garden, as far as the steps that descend from the city of David. After him, Nehemiah, the son of Azbuk, official of half the district of Beitsur, made repairs as far as the point opposite the tombs of David, and as far as the artificial pool and the house of the mighty men. After him, the Levites carried out repairs under Rehum, the son of Bani. Next to him, Hashabiah, the official of half the district of Kela carried out repairs for his district. After him, their brothers carried out repairs under Bavai, the son of Henadad, official of the other half of the district of Kela. Next to him, Azar, the son of Jeshua, the official of Mizpah, repaired another section in front of the ascent of the armory at the angle. After him, Baruch, the son of Zabai, zealously repaired another section from the angle to the doorway of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. After him, Merahmot, the son of Uriah, the son of Hakoz, repaired another section from the doorway of Eliashib's house, even as far as the end of his house. After him, the priests, the men of the valley, carried out repairs. After them, Benjamin and Hashuv carried out repairs in front of their house. After them, Azariah, the son of Maasiah, the son of Hananiah, oh, sorry, the son of Ananiah, carried out repairs beside his house. After him, Benui, the son of Henadad, repaired another section from the house of Azariah as far as the angle and as far as the corner. Palal, the son of Uzai, made repairs in front of the angle and the tower projecting from the upper house of the king, which is by the court of the guard. After him, Padiah, the son of Parosh, made repairs. The temple servants living in Ophel made repairs as far as the front of the water gate toward the east and the projecting tower. After them, the Tekoites repaired another section in front of the great projecting tower and as far as the wall of Ophel. Y'all still with me? Hanging in there? Okay. Verse 28. Above the horse gate, the priests carried out repairs, each in front of his house. After them, Zadok, the son of Emer, carried out repairs in front of his house. And after him, Shemaiah, the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate, carried out repairs. After him, Hananiah, the son of Shelemiah, and Hanun, the sixth son of Zaloth, repaired another section. After him, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, carried out repairs in front of his own quarters. After him, Malkiah, one of the goldsmiths, carried out repairs as far as the house of the temple servants and of the merchants, in front of the inspection gate and as far as the upper room of the corner. 
between the upper room of the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants carried out repairs. All right. Well, remember that word, all scripture? How are we thinking now? What is going on here? Why would Nehemiah give us so many details, names, little sections of what they were doing and what they repaired and what their line of work was. Wow, so much detail. Is there something in this for us who are looking at a broken world full of broken people and issues and problems that break us. Just like these stones. I was looking at some of these the other day. Does a chapter like this help us take care of that? That's what we're doing. Well, as you can see in your notes, I have five principles. The first principle that I believe emerges from this uh, passage. And by the way, remember that day of prayer I was telling you about? I read this about five times and thought, this is crazy. And I said, keep reading. About the sixth, seventh time, I began to see some interesting things. And I probably read it 30 times that day. And began to actually draw little maps, which didn't, that one didn't help so much. But reading the text over and over and seeing the names of people, principles began to emerge. And that's where I got them. So number one, each person has a specific limited task. I mean, if you don't get that from this chapter, you're not reading, right? Each person had a... In other words, prepare yourselves, nobody repaired the whole wall. Can I get an amen? amen? That means none of you in here are responsible for all that. It can't be done. And if you try, you're going to get depressed and burn yourself out. The world is too broken. All we can do is find our little portion of the wall and do our thing. What is your limited, specific task? We're not building walls, we're building a kingdom, right? Nehemiah, you know, the historical context was that they were, God had called them to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. But it's a, it's a, it's a metaphor for what we're doing because Jesus has called us to build his kingdom. And in fact, he is building it through us. And he uses us and knows that we are finite and limited. So I ask you, 
What is your specific limited task? Recognize your limitations. Sit down with a blank piece of paper sometime and have an inventory. If you're married, talk to your spouse about it. Say, let's sit down and and just have a little evaluation of what we can do. What are we capable of? How much time do we have? And let's find our portion of the wall to build. You've you've maybe have, perhaps you've heard of the 80-20 rule. This is an expression in church work, the 80-20 rule. 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Well, I'm calling you, well, not me. The text is, Jesus is. Jesus is calling you to be a part of that 20%. So the 20% is going to go up, right? As we all find the portion of the wall to build. So each person has a specific limited task. And I think we can take some comfort in that. Unless we're not building anything. Then it's a gentle loving call to action. Principle number two. Some have accomplished more than others. Some have accomplished more than others. Did you notice that as I was reading that some names came up again and again? Now, you only read it once. Remember, I read it 30 times and started to recognize these things. But several people's names came up and they said, you know, he finished his portion, he went and did another. Several people are mentioned twice. They did more than one section. Now, what I want to warn you about here is the danger of comparison. Because if this, if you all as a people, as a fellowship, if you begin to build your portion of the wall, you might realize, hey, there are some people that are building more than I am. Maybe that means I'm not as good a Christian. Maybe I'm a failure. That's not what the text is saying. Some there's, there are too many variables. You're never comparing apples to apples when you're comparing yourself to somebody else. It's a losing game. So don't do it. Just look at what God has asked you to do and do that. Here are some of the variables. Some people are more gifted. Notice at my church, I'm not on the worship team, the singing team. I'd love to try out. But I know what would happen. Thank you so much for wanting to serve. Can we suggest some alternative ministries? <laughs> training. That's a variable. Some people's life skills and their training are different. And they're going to do more things. Some people have better health. Folks, you need to... It's okay to recognize that your health isn't what it once was. You still might have gas in the tank, but you can't go full throttle anymore. So find what you can do. 
For some of you, that might be committing yourself to praying, to praying for every service. Wouldn't that be cool? And this might actually be the case, so I don't know. Uh, There might be, but wouldn't it be cool if y'all had a group of people praying somewhere on this campus during every service? We're just asking the Lord to pour out his spirit on the teaching and the worship. That's a calling. Your time of life, that's another variable. And I use my wife as an example. We had four children in, in seven years, and there was a time where it was, it was just all on, diapers and survival. That was it. At the end of the day, she would look at me and say, I made it. <laughs> Recognize that. There's another time coming in life where you'll have more time. Maybe right now, focus on what God has given you to do. So be careful of comparison. Number three, some people have to work outside of their comfort zones. Oh, we don't like that, do we? Some people have to work outside their comfort zones. Did you notice there were goldsmiths building this wall? Merchants? Priests? Children of officials, which I kind of took to mean children of privilege. They're not used to manual labor. Pick up that rock. You're getting to work. Shalom's daughters. I kind of emphasized that. Did you hear that? We got girls out there picking up these stones. Did you read the, did you hear the perfumers? That one just made me chuckle. I mean, I just don't picture a perfumer being some big burly guy. I'll pick up another stone. What do you do, sir? I'm a perfumer. I just don't think that's how that went down, right? But the perfumers were out there building the walls. Do you see? It was all hands on deck. And brothers, our world, and brothers and sisters, our world is too broken not to have everybody on, on deck. Are you with me? So take some risks. And can I use myself as an example right now? I'm outside my comfort zone right now. Be like me. Do things that make you afraid and nervous and anxious. And, but the Lord can bless when you take risks. Number four. Others work where it is a natural fit. So this is the opposite of number three. Number four, others work where it is a natural fit. Did you notice how some of these people were building the wall that was right in front of their house? Now they're motivated, right? They're building a wall right in front of their house. And I take that to mean something like this. There might be areas in which you are naturally gifted. Um, And I think of somebody like an accountant who is used to working with numbers. Um, Maybe there's a finance committee that needs some help or you can help with fundraising. Or you're a businessman who knows how to connect people with people. Use your natural giftedness and fittedness. 
your natural ability. In other words, help with things close to your heart. Listen to the ministries of the church and then listen to your heart. Does something in you say, oh, I want to help with that. I want to get involved in that. Then go for it. Do you see? Some others worked where it's a natural fit. And then the last one. Individual faithfulness brings corporate success. Individual faithfulness brings corporate success. And of course the church isn't a corporation, but what we mean by that is is the success of the group. If we are faithful as individuals, where God has plugged us in, then that that individual faithfulness brings a corporate success. And I think of a team, an athletic team. Doug and I have been watching the NHL playoffs. And, uh, you know, if the goalie just decides not to show up, how's that team going to do? Not good. The other five men on the ice need to know the goalie is in the net and he is all in. Well, that's what we need to do as a people, as God's people. We need to throw ourselves in and then trust whatever other people are doing, I know they're all in too. And that individual faithfulness is what will bring corporate success. Amen? Well, do those principles, can you see them in the text? It's on the, it's on the exam. <laughs> so I hope, I hope the all scripture claim that Paul made has been vindicated. Even a passage that appears to be so strange to us can actually when we listen and pay attention and study and have our ears open, the Lord can speak to us and challenge us. But I'm not from here, Douglas is. And so Douglas is gonna come up and I think make things a little more specific. Amen? Did I throw you a softball? (laughs) So when uh, my brother talks about uh, individual faithfulness as a necessity for corporate success. Uh, Obviously, as a church, we're seeking to be God's instrument for building the kingdom of God in this community. Yes, we are involved in building the kingdom of God to the ends of the earth. We have a team uh, as part of our initiative to reach unreached people groups that we're praying for this week. But uh, specifically, I want us to think about this text as it relates to God's work of building this body in impacting this community. So uh, some specific application. Then I'm going to ask you to consider whether this would be a natural fit for you or outside of your comfort zone. See, either one works uh, of how you might participate given the, the opportunity that Lord has given you in terms of time and resources. First, 
You know that one of the primary ways we impact this community is through power-up clubs. Power-up clubs is how we take the gospel to this community and families all over, not inviting the community to come here, but us going to the community. Uh, We are asking the Lord for more than ever this year, 90 host homes. Uh, We are currently at 78 host homes. So we're asking the Lord to, to move in the heart of this body for 90 host homes. So I want to ask you whether it's a natural fit, meaning you have a lot of kids in your neighborhood and you have a front yard that you'd be willing to offer up to say it can happen here. That would be a portion of like building the wall in your front yard. Would you be willing to host a power-up club? We need about a dozen more in order to fulfill the, the 90 clubs each day. If that's not a natural fit for you, you may have not realized that, but lots of host homes, a way we can support them is through what we call host home partners. Uh, one of the primary roles of the host home is, is not just offering the front yard, but it's, these are my neighbors, so I am trying to make the most of the opportunity to relationally connect with them, but I have all of this other administrative type stuff I need to do. And what a partner can do is say, I don't have a good front yard, but I could be your partner and do the administrative things while you do the relational connection with your neighbors. So uh, this may be a new role that you've never thought of. You've always kind of dismissed hosting a power-up club because it just doesn't fit your neighborhood or your season of life. Would you consider being a partner, connecting with somebody else who would host the club, but you would serve alongside with them. So 90 host home, 90 partners would be a huge advantage in the ministry of power-up clubs. And finally, as it connects to power-up clubs, a team that goes to a front yard consists of a couple junior hires, a couple senior hires, a college captain, and an adult leader. And this is a big ask. It requires you to be available pretty much all day, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, four straight days of Power Up Club Week. But to be an adult leader who travels with a team, and we need about 18 more of those. So that's what we are asking the Lord. Would you consider being an adult leader, a partner, or a host home? for the building of the wall, the building of the kingdom through power-up clubs. If so, there's cfcjacks.com at Puck that you can sign up there. The second need that I simply want to throw out to you is we celebrated our teachers this morning, those who worked all year to, to teach our kids. So grateful for folks who come every Sunday to teach our kids. Aren't you grateful for folks who serve in that way? Yeah, I am. And as you clap, I think you can appreciate, wow, that is a huge commitment. Here's how you could help them. We try to give them the summer off, and we ask you to serve one, summer, one Sunday, one hour. 
one Sunday, one hour. It takes like 300 slots, but it's such a minimal commitment. One Sunday, one hour to go into one of our kids' classrooms and help in that class for one Sunday, one hour. Now, you can sign up for more than that. We had a guy Thursday night and go, I'll sign up every week. But one Sunday, one hour. You could do that. Every single person, regardless of season of life, could do one Sunday, one hour. And if I can be honest, this will be a little encouragement body. This is such an easy thing. I think everybody's assuming somebody else will do it. And we've had very, very little of those who are thankful for our teachers those folks be willing to say, I'll help this summer. We need 100 more folks who will go, I'll help. So uh, straight out the back here in South, uh, over in our Family Life Center, over in North, if you'll go out where our children's check-in, there's a table with about six sheets of paper on it. It looks like the wall. <laughs> the wall of summer of Sundays for kids. We need some help with that. Now I realize this is like, wow, this is like, volunteer moment exactly the work doesn't get done unless folks say I'll help and so nobody's going to do it all specific limited task right so that's what we're asking would you be willing to say I'll give a specific limited role in which I can help. It might be outside of your comfort zone. Some of you go, no, that fits me naturally. But what, requ- what is required for corporate success? What was the final point? What's required? Individual faithfulness. So we need, we need some help for restoring that which is broken in our world. Let me lead us in prayer that God would move among us for the meeting of that need. It's not just, before we pray, let me say this. It can feel like I'm just filling a slot. No, we're investing in people's lives. Don't miss that. We are being God's instrument to invest in someone's life, which can be scary. I'm not denying that. But that's what we're asking. Would you be a person who invests in someone's life, whether it's through one Sunday, one hour, or through our power-up clubs. So, Father, thanks for this text. Thanks for the simple, repetitive reminder that it took, really, each person doing their part for the rubble to be restored, for the wall to be built. And Lord, I'm asking that you, as the head of Christian Family Chapel, you would work in the hearts of each one listening right now. Younger, older, single, married, kids, no kids. Lord, would you work in each individual heart, prompted by your Spirit, not twisted their arm, but prompted by your spirit to say, yeah, 
I can help. I can do my part. And that it would be, Lord, to the praise of your glory, and that it would be to the building of your kingdom, that we might share together in the joy of participating in your work, knowing that you will give us all we need to do all you've said. So thank you, Lord, in advance for how you will provide. Let's stand together and let's sing. We have men and women available over there. You guys have a blessed day. We'll see you later. See you next time.